Amen. It is great to worship together and to, uh, especially on Easter Sunday. So welcome. Happy Easter to you. And uh, I was driving this morning and uh, something caught my eye as I was driving by an apartment complex and saw a big U-Haul truck out front and people moving into the U-Haul truck. And I thought, Easter, the ultimate moving day. Um, And technically, I guess the Lord speaking is true because this is when Jesus moved and moved out. And uh, this was all the part of moving. How many of you have ever moved before? How many of you have moved more than 10 times? Raise your hand. Perfect. Like, you're our heroes, okay? And uh, if we ever need help, we're going to call you. Um, So thanks. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighborhood, the two, three people right around you, and I want you to share either your favorite move, your worst move, or just the number of times that you've moved, okay? You got about 35 seconds. You ready, set, go. Favorite move, worst move. Ten seconds left. Some of you are way too excited about moving. All right, talking, 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 done. Okay, so if you moved, maybe you moved out and got a roommate, you moved away to college, maybe you moved to a new U house, you probably had some of this. What is this? Okay, you read the word, but what is this? A box, right? See, there's no stuff in here. It's so, it's just, I fooled you. But, okay, so there's a box here, right? And you are very, how many of you are familiar with boxes when you're moving, right? It's the deal. It's where you can put stuff. It's controllable. It's maneuverable. You can move it around. You can put stuff. You can contain things. You can go, hey, where'd I put that stuff? Oh, yeah, it's in the box. See, you're you're catching on. Um, So proud of you. You guys are sharp. Okay. So, like, What we like about the box when we're moving is, actually, if we're honest, we just like the box even when we're not moving. Because we like to approach hobbies with, like, here's the box that this goes in, and and I can control it, and I can maneuver it around the way I want, and I can contain things, and, and if things don't get messed up, then it's, it's like this, and I like work to be that way, because I don't want things to be out of my control, and I want it to be containable, and I want, actually, to be honest, I want my relationships to be kind of in a box, because then I can know what's coming, and when that person says that, and I go, I don't know, I don't like that, because it's out of the box, and it's out of my control, and it's out of containment, and, and I like that, and the reality is, for some of us, we even like to put God in one of these. And so we say, God, I want you to be controllable. I want you to be containable. I want you for me to be able to maneuver around with you. And so we try to fit God in a box. But the reality is the scriptures say over and over and over, and most predominantly on Easter Sunday, we remember God don't fit in your box. And he don't fit in my box. And he don't fit in any box. See, the grave, ever since the beginning of humanity, has called for people. And where do we put people when they're done? 
in a box. It's containable, controllable. I, I, I can fit that there. But Easter says, uh-uh. You, you can't contain me. You can't control me. I, I don't fit where you think I do. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. And I'm uncontainable. That's what we remember of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, of realizing we can't fit God in a box. You want a box, go to U-Haul, but don't try to shove God in one. Don't try to make him fit in that. It's what the Apostle Paul writes about our faith as believers, as followers of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. Can I read a few verses for you? For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and went on to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, some of whom are still alive, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. He continues on in 1 Corinthians 15. Read it this week. He says, look, if Christ hadn't been raised, then your whole faith is useless. Earlier, he says, my preaching is useless. If, if all we have is Christ just for this life, we're to be pitied above everybody, he says. And then in verse 20, if you've got a pen, circle it, highlight it, write around it, this is the deal. This is what he says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. All of history, people stayed in their box until Easter came. And Jesus said, I don't fit in your box. It can't contain me. It doesn't control me. It doesn't own me. And I'm way bigger than you think I am. And so he burst forth, and Easter burst onto the scene. And you read about the resurrection accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read through them, and you're going to find confusion. You're going to find Mary going, where did the gardener take his body? You're going to find Peter and John running to the tomb and both of them leaving there going, Some, okay, something. See, nobody expected to find nobody. They went there to see something and he wasn't there. He didn't stay in the box. And so the story flipped and it changed. And, and what do you do with that? They're trying to get their minds even around this. See, Easter burst onto the scene and, and our imagination and our mind couldn't even grasp it. Because everything else in life stayed in a box. And God said, I don't fit in yours. Don't try to put me in one. I'm bigger than what you think. You can't explain the, the transformation of the disciples. Friday, they watched their leader be killed on a cross. That they've followed for three years and given up everything and thought that the revolution was going to overthrow Rome. Little did they know the revolution was a much bigger war going on. The revolution to overthrow sin and its control over our life. It affected everybody, not just a region of the world. And Jesus said, my mission is bigger. Don't try to put my mission in a box. It's so much bigger than what you can even grasp right now. And so afterwards, after the resurrection, Mary's got this confusion. Peter's got this confusion. The disciples are trying to piece together things, and it's not really working. So much so that one scholar says this, a leading agnostic scholar says this, 
He writes, as he put it, it looks as though they were struggling to describe something for which they did not have adequate language. Why? Because that's never happened before. Did it happen last week for you? No. Are you going to see it next week? No. God got out of the box. And in that moment, things changed. And these disciples go from cowards in a matter of a few days to champions of this message of the resurrected Jesus. See, they were championing this message so much that all of them were killed for their faith. You can read about it. We have testimonial evidence. We have historical evidence. Friends, people don't go to their death for a lie that they made up. You wouldn't do that, nor would I. You know what that's called? Dumb. But to speak of what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced, people will go to the end for that. And they say, this happened. And what I know I'm telling you is a story, and it's an out-of-the-box story. That's the only way I have to explain it. It doesn't fit, and it's different, and it's incredible, and it's transformational. And they went to tell the story over and over. See, this was not a mass hallucination. Jesus appeared to people at different times and in different places all over. This is what's captivated over 2 billion people for 2,000 years. You can't make up a story that has that kind of passion and that kind of power with no validity to it. And in this moment, these disciples go from cowards to say, look, Easter happened, and God doesn't fit in your box. And after the resurrection, everything changed. It's this out-of-box story that changes everything. But even before the resurrection, God had a way of always being out of the box and thinking beyond what we can get our minds around. God doing something that didn't quite fit. Think back to even the crucifixion. I would dare say me, I'll speak for myself, I'll interject for you a little bit. Someone nailing me to the cross, I'm not going to be praying for him. Would you? I'm just being real. If someone's hurling insults at me and nailing my hands and my feet to the cross, I don't think my first sentence would be, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm just being honest. I don't know if you're better than me, maybe, and yours would, but I just don't know if I could get there. Those who mocked him were met with love, not hate. Man, our world needs more of that. He hung on a cross, hanging on to scripture, hanging on to the Father's plan to come and redeem creation, not condemn it. Man, our world needs more of that. I don't know what I would be doing in that minute, but Jesus did it differently than I think most people would. Maybe anybody would. He just did things out of the box and different because he proved who he was, who his character is. Maybe re-emphasizing one of the most famous passages of scripture that you know, you've heard, you've seen, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but what? But to save the world through him. God's heart is bent toward people. That verse so simply conveys the gospel in its simplest form. God loves, so he gave. And if you believe, you can receive. Life with God, not based on your effort or your energy, but based simply on faith in what he did and what he proved to be true. That he wrote a check to pay for your sin and your brokenness and your shame. And the resurrection proved the check cleared. God said, it is finished, to tell us die. What we looked at last week. And, and the invitation of Easter is simply this. Choose. Choose. You have a choice. You can either live your life by effort, trying to work your way to a perfect and holy God. Good luck. That's one way. And it's your choice. Or you can come to a place and a decision where you say, yeah, yeah that ain't going to work for me. And I need, I, need, I need a better plan. I need a plan that's beyond me. And so I'm going to put my faith and my trust in what Jesus did on my behalf. I choose Jesus. And it's your choice. And Easter says, look, you have a choice. It's, it's coming your way. See, we see examples of people reaching out for Jesus as kind of this lifeline all throughout the gospel accounts. People reaching out and saying, I, I don't know the way, I, I've, I've lost my way. I can't, I've been wandering around, I can't figure it out. Jesus, I need you. And we see that in story after story after story. But maybe none more clear than in the final moments of Jesus' life. Remember? So we talk about Jesus being on the cross, which is true. But he wasn't alone, was he? There were how many crosses that day on that hill? The scriptures tell us there were three. There were two other people that were, that were crucified with Jesus and hung there beside him. And so I want to spend a little bit of time zeroing on that story. So we've been in these final words of Jesus. These are some other final words of Jesus. And I think they speak to us at Easter about a reality of this choice that we have. And so the scriptures tell us in Luke 23, this is what it says, verse 32 and 33, two other, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place of the skull, remember the skull hill, which we said last week was right on a main thoroughfare coming in and out of the city. And the reason Rome did that was to show, hey, look, we're Rome, don't mess with us, we're in charge here. This is what happens when you go against us. That's why you would do that. It's intimidation. We're in charge, you're not. This is what happens when you go against the system. And so in that moment, these other two were there. Uh, scripture goes on. They said they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Many scholars have kind of identified these two criminals to be tied to Barabbas. And you'll remember Barabbas and his story. Barabbas was the one that Pilate, remember, brought out, and it was customary to have one prisoner that they would potentially release at Passover. And so they brought out Barabbas, and Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was the one who was trying to overthrow Rome. He's a murderer, a thief, a thug. 
trying to rally the Jewish people to overthrow Rome, military might. And these two criminals were tied to him. Remember Pilate comes out to the crowd that day before Good Friday, and he says, who do you want me to release? He even jokingly kind of says this idea of Jesus, who I find no wrong in him. Or Barabbas, and you all know his rap sheet. And the whole crowd yells one word only. Give us Barabbas. We want the criminal. Crucify that other guy. What? That's not the way it would go. In reality, if we just looked at evidence. But it's the way God needed it to go. Because of you and because of me. It's the way the story had to play out. Because Jesus was more than just a good guy. He was a savior. And he had to come. And he had to take your penalty, my penalty. He had to take it and make it right. Because we couldn't figure it out. And so we know, if you read through the other gospel accounts, these two criminals joined in with the crowd, mocking Jesus, shouting at him, throwing insults his way. We know that happened early in the morning. We know the crucifixion began around 9 a.m. and and, and went all the way to 3 until 3 p.m. is when Jesus, at that point, is yelling to Telestai, it is finished. But somewhere in between then, we know these two criminals are shouting the insults and, and mocking just like the rest of the crowd is. In fact, it goes on, verse 40. One of the criminals protested, don't you fear God? They shouted to the other one, or the one criminal says, uh, prove yourself to be the Messiah. You say you are. Take yourself down off the cross and, and help us down too. Would you fix our situation? Mocking in tone. The other criminal, somewhere along the line, begins to have his heart changed. And I don't know if it was because of the words Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If there was something in the way Jesus said stuff, Maybe it was eye contact that he had. The other criminal goes from mocking Jesus to having his heart begin to melt and to begin to turn in Jesus' direction even. In fact, he shouts at the other criminal, verse 40, this is where that was, the, the criminal protested, don't you fear God speaking to the other one? When we have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. We earned this. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turns to Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And don't you love that Jesus doesn't ignore him? In fact, some of Jesus' last words on the cross are in this moment. When he responds to this criminal who's turning toward him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he responds, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. In fact, if you have a pen, circle with me. Because that's the invitation of Easter and every day after. You'll be with me. You'll get to be in my presence. Jesus in that moment doesn't retaliate against the other Because in this moment, he's giving a choice. And one criminal, hanging on the cross, deservedly so, 
begins to say, I'm about ready to meet God. And I don't like the hand I've got. I need something different. And I've heard about you, Jesus. And so I'm going all in on you because I don't have anything. And I know what's coming my way. So Jesus, would you remember me? See, Jesus' heart always turns toward those who are turning in his direction, those who are looking to find hope in him. What captivates Jesus' attention? People who begin to put their attention on him. People who begin to turn in his direction. That's the testimony of the cross, that he came to seek and to save the lost, those who had no hope on their own. The truth of the resurrection is that Jesus made a way for us to have life with God through faith in him. That's the gospel message. That life with God is not something you try to go get in your own effort, not try, something you try to earn. It's something you're gifted. It's by grace that you've been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast about it. It's this faith, this gift. See, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw people to myself. In fact, in John 3.16, we read earlier, go back a couple verses. John 3.14, he says this, and as Moses was lifted up and the bronze snake, the, uh, the, the statue they had there when they had an infestation of snakes in the Exodus camp, and God said, Moses, you'll make this. It's actually the medical symbol we see in schools today. And raise this up, and when people look at it, then they'll be saved from the, the poisonous venom that's going through them. They'll be rescued in that moment. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in this conversation, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life, saved, rescued in that moment. And in one moment, one criminal made one choice and went all in on it, a faith-filled leap of faith, if you will, and said, Jesus, would you remember me? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me. What could that criminal do for Jesus in the last two hours of his life? I'll give you a hint. Nothing. He's got nothing. Zip, zilch, zero, nada. He's not doing anything with his effort to get right with Jesus. Because it's not about your effort. It's about this grace that we've been given. And when a heart turns in the direction of Jesus, Jesus turns in their direction and says, you can be with me. Life with God is through faith in Jesus, not knowledge about him. It's not trying to work effort for him. It's about believing in him. The same way that you sat down in your chair tonight and no one came in here and said, man, I hope this chair holds me up. You just sat down. You put your faith in that chair. That's what the Bible says. That's what the scriptures call us to. It's a faith in Jesus and what he did, his death, his life, his resurrection. That that counts for us now. And we reach out to Jesus. A with me, a with Jesus life changes everything. Uh, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, said this, the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed, manifested, and taught was about more than the death, his death for the forgiveness of sins. As important as that is, and it is, 
It was about the kingdom of God, life with God, the way of God working now, that God's immediate availability and his with us-ness in life. Today, you'll be with me. And tomorrow, guess what? You're going to be with me. And next Thursday, guess what? You're going to be with me. That's what Jesus came to do. Here's the bottom line I wrote. Having a with Jesus life means I never have a without Jesus moment again. When I have a with Jesus life, I never face a without Jesus moment again. No matter what challenges or what struggles or or what things come my way, I'm with Jesus now and forever. So don't try to fit God in a box. Easter proves he's uncontainable. What boxes are good for, though, are some things. You've taken surveys before. You've filled out things online where you've got to check the box. And here's the invitation of Easter. Choose. Choose. It's your choice. The invitation of Easter is God doesn't fit in your box. And he's a God who loves you. He's crazy about you. He proved it by coming, searching for you, taking on your sin, your punishment that separated you from a perfect and holy God. He sent his son to say, no, no, separation doesn't have to be the story. I want to make a way for people to have life with me through faith. And so the question comes to you and comes to me, just like it came to that criminal couple thousand years ago. You could choose your own way. You could stay mocking and insulting. You can keep God at arm's length and say, no, I'm going to do it my own way. Or you can get to a place where you say, I'm about ready to meet God, because one day you will, friend. How do you like the hand you got? Good enough? Good luck? Or you have a choice. Say, God, I don't like the hand I got. And I don't like how well I've played. And I need Jesus. I choose him. And so I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I I know for some of you, you've been investigating Jesus for a while. And and I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of you. I know that coming to a place of faith and, and going all in on that takes a journey. And it takes a while. And if you're not there, then friend, you keep searching because God's searching for you and he's trying to make himself known to you. Be alert and be open. And maybe tonight, I can't think of a better night than Easter 2018 to say, God, I want to choose Jesus. I don't know all the answers. I don't have everything figured out, but I, I know the hand I got isn't the hand I need. And I want to go all in on Jesus. And I'll figure the rest of this out. And for some of you, maybe that's tonight. For others of you, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. And I want to challenge you. I think sometimes, as Christians, we try to make God fit in a box. So that he's containable and controllable. And you can maneuver him around the way you want. 
Friend, my prayer for you this Easter is that God would blow up your box. And that you would get tired of carrying it around. God doesn't fit in your box, friend. Stop trying to make him. Stop it. Invite him to be bigger in your life than you ever thought possible. And Easter is your chance to say, yes, I want more of God. I want more of his power in my life. I want more of his activity. I want more of my surrender so that I'll submit to his will and not just try to manufacture everything on my own. And for some of you, that's the choice that's before you tonight. God, blow up my box. And so the worship team's gonna come back and we're gonna play through a song called Resurrecting. This resurrecting king, resurrecting me. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. Friend, that's the gospel invitation. And maybe for you tonight, you're saying yes to say, okay, I'm gonna say yes to Jesus because I wanna figure this out. I don't have all the answers and I still got a ton of questions. Good, me too. But maybe tonight is your night to say yes to that. And so I'm gonna invite you during this next song. We're gonna stand, we're gonna praise, and I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm gonna be down front here. Brian's gonna be down front over there. And if you want to say yes to Jesus tonight, you don't have to come see us because we're pastors. But we just want to celebrate with you. And if tonight's your night to say yes to Jesus, then you just come see one of us. We want to celebrate with you. We want to give you a Bible, pray for you. If you are here tonight and you're following Jesus, but you've been trying to keep him in a box, then your prayer during this song is, God, blow up my box. I'm sorry for trying to keep you controllable and containable, and you are not any of that. Would you expand my understanding of how big you are and how much you want to use me and how active you want to be in my life? And maybe that's your prayer that you're saying yes to tonight. And so, Father, in these moments and these words, would you let these words wash over us? Each one of us in this room has something to say yes to. God, if it's yes to you, Jesus, for the first time, give us boldness for that. If it's a yes to say, God, would you blow up our boxes? We're tired of limiting you. Would you give us boldness for that? Would you do a resurrecting work in us? You tell us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active through the Holy Spirit in us. So Holy Spirit, have your way here. In us, in me, us individually, us as a church. Jesus, we thank you that Easter reminds us and shouts to us again that you are uncontainable. Would you get bigger and bigger as we realize our appropriate smallness to you? We're deeply valued. That's what the cross and the resurrection proves. You came searching for us. So would you call us home to you? Would you call us forward with you? That we get to live every day as a with Jesus day. 
And we don't face a without Jesus moment again. And we're grateful for that. As we worship you, would you stir our hearts and these songs as we finish our evening together? Would you move us? We ask that in Jesus' name.